This is the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless, a weekly podcast hosted by Chris Milson, a podcast to help break the stigma of mental health and to remind everyone that it is okay to be not okay, and to remind those that they are never alone. Please also note that Chris is not a psychologist or psychiatrist and is speaking from research and experiences. Trigger warning for those for the possible explicit content and language. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless. I am your host, Chris. Today, I have a very special guest. Uh, She specializes in doing content for trauma and uh, cycle breaking. She is a social media influencer, and she helps other people by sharing her journey. Please welcome uh, Sydney. Sid, how are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. And uh, just just a little background um, for our listeners, if you want to give a a little introduction for yourself. For sure. So uh, I guess I'll start with, yeah, I guess the content. I mean, we were just talking about it a little bit ago before the show, but I basically have (laughs) tried to utilize my life experience uh, through, you know, experiencing some intergenerational trauma with some family members like my mom um, to really support and empower people who I know go through the same, but they think they're alone in doing so. So I guess a bit about me is I just really tried to focus a lot on my inner healing and trying to, like how you said, break the cycle for myself and my family members and then inspire other people, you know, worldwide and on social media to do the same for themselves. Um, I tried to, you know, be a piece of empowerment um, for a lot of people who, you know, need to have someone on their side to say, hey, I get it. I feel you. I've experienced the same thing. I know, you know, a lot of times people don't necessarily think other people can't understand. They're like, no, there's no way anybody else has experienced the, you know, the awfulness that I have, but I'm trying to be a beacon, that light for people so that, you know, they do see that there is somebody who gets it, they're not alone and that they can move through it in the same ways that I've done. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things that I enjoy about your content is, you know, you see a lot of a lot of stories about abusive fathers and you see like toxic fathers and everything. You don't really see people speaking out about the mom side of things because yeah. it's absolutely there. And uh, one of the podcasts that I did recently, uh, when I was searching like uh, just some quotes about the content that I was covering at that time, when you look up, uh, you know, parenthood, it's like all mothers, like uh, inspirational quotes about moms. And don't get me wrong. There are some wonderful moms out there. Absolutely. But it seems like social media and just like the algorithm of that topic is focused around uplifting one side and not the other side. So that was what really got me interested in your content. So I'm like, wow, she's talking about trauma she faced with her mom. And you don't hear a lot of females speak out about that. It's usually talking about the dads. And you know what? I completely sympathize with that. And I do get a lot of questions about my dad. Um, and in full transparency, you know, he was never really there. And I think obviously for good reason. So I don't really have a whole lot to speak to in that regard, aside from, you know, uh, things that I've experienced in terms of like abandonment when I was younger and asking why he wasn't there. But the the blunt of the trauma, I'll say, in my experience and statistically speaking, um, and, and, you know, again, 
some really fantastic, amazing single moms out there. I'm a single mom. But speaking to the statistics, there is a lot more uh, trauma or damage that comes from a single parent or a single mother household. And that's often because in my experience, I find that being a single mother, you're forced into a role that you're not meant to be. You know, you can't really fully embrace your femininity in the ways that you want to because you're having to play mom and dad. And so oftentimes, you know, that looks like working really long hours or, you know, not having the time for yourself that you need so that you can show up as your best self or, you know, having distractions and putting your energy elsewhere where your children might not get that time. And so I can understand how a lot of our society has, like how you said earlier, definitely put that focus of parental trauma on the dad or maybe the absent father or the emotionally or physically abusive father. But there's not a lot of people who talk about the other side of the coin, which is the mother. And so that's one of the things I help my clients work through a lot is the mother wound specifically, because I feel like that's obviously pertinent to myself, but also like a really big gap in the conversation that I feel has to be had. Absolutely. And, you know, just uh, just a small background on myself as well. You know, my parents were divorced at a very young age and I had both parents, but I lived with my mom and she was a very narcissistic uh, person and unfortunately went from relationship to relationship and put all those guys first so you know I, I'm very passionate on this conversation while my dad yes uh, mentally he uh, added some scars in there too but like you said the conversation of the other side of the coin just isn't there it's like we're putting that uh, that conversation around a bubble it's like oh well that doesn't happen moms aren't narcissistic moms can't do that kind of stuff and then uh, when I started doing therapy and realizing like, wow, this is abuse. I thought that was normal. This is this, you know what I mean? Exactly. You kind of thought that, you know, your mother, a mother's just, you know, kind of like that, you know, it's just, oh, that's how she is that day. You know, that's how my mom is. I get what you mean because, you know, for a lot of my healing journey, I, I kept asking myself, like, I was definitely in a victim mentality for a lot of it when I was a teenager, especially. Um, and I would sit there and be like, why me? Why me? Like, I'm the only daughter. Um, you know, my mom should have this wonderful relationship with me. In my eyes, I don't do anything wrong. But of course, it comes down to that conversation of, well, how were they raised? Um, and I actually, I'm really glad that you brought up the topic of, you know, always going and kind of chasing after men being very narcissistic within themselves. And I think that goes back to the conversation with the dad. What kind of dynamic did she have with her father? Did she feel like she needed to have to chase after his approval? Did she get it? Did she not? Because that was very much my mom's situation was, and she said it very, very blunt to me and she did not make the connection like I did. But she said, yeah, I never got the love and recognition that I needed from my dad. I always felt like I needed to fight for his love and recognition. And that made so much sense to me years later being out of the house and being like, oh, that's why she settled for all these toxic men and prioritized them over myself and my other siblings because she was chasing after that father wound that she had still left unhealed from her childhood, right? But right. it's very interchangeable. You're right. Like we can't have the discussion without having both sides to it, you know? Exactly. And you know, one of the one of the biggest conversations that I've had it with a couple of people over the last like week or so, while we have been chasing equality and, you know, we want everybody at the same level, right? But in that journey of equality, men have gotten buried and it's just like the conversation isn't there. It's like, there are great fathers out there. There are great mothers out there. But until you hold both sides accountable, where's the equality? You know what I mean? 
100%. And I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of like this journey for equality, because I find that, you know, a lot of my healing journey has been very much focused on embodying in my life, a divine feminine and a divine masculine, because we all have both qualities within ourselves. And the ways that I do that, you know, I kind of try to catch myself in a way. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what about me is, you know, per se shadow masculine or shadow feminine. And if I ever see something that reminds me of my mom, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> pull back. Let's, <laughs> let's recalibrate. Right. And likewise, the same in terms of fatherhood. But I, I think it's interesting that you say that it's a, uh, it's almost like the good fathers, you know, get buried or the good mothers get buried because it's like one of them has to come out on top or, you know, even to the sad reality, if you, you know, how you mentioned your parents were divorced when you're a little bit younger, a lot of children have to go through family court and they don't even realize what's going on. And it's simply because oftentimes there's one good parent and there's one bad parent per se. And one of them is not going to come out on top because the other is, you know, spewing whatever they want to spew. And I mean, I, I saw that with my mother and her, or I guess I should say my brother's fathers at the time, because we all have different dads. All the fathers, you know, or I should say one of the fathers, my, my eldest brother had a great dad. Like he was there, you know, like he was there unlike my younger brother and my, and my father was. And uh, it was interesting to see what my mom could get away with, <laughs> you know, just because the courts, as well as the system, very much like how you said, this conversation of toxic mothers is not really had. And therefore the courts do oftentimes favor the mother, even if it is not within the best interest of the child. And there is a perfectly willing, capable and loving father on the other end, just wanting to input his part as well, right? Absolutely. And you know, that that court conversation, especially like it, the, the system has, again, the equality conversation while we were chasing equality, it's like, all right, we're going to change all the laws around and now women are going to get custody nine times out of 10. It doesn't matter all this proof, all this abuse. I was watching a video of Chris Rock talking about um, about his his court case, getting his kids. And this guy's a millionaire. So you wouldn't think there would be a problem with housing, food, you know, everything else is like the judge kept asking him. He's like, all right, I want you to uh, take pictures of the beds these kids are going to sleep in. Are they going to have food? Are they going to have a safe home? I'm like, this is a millionaire why why is society like this you know and it's it's just crazy to me when you sit back and just realize that society has gone backwards in terms of just trying to put everybody on that same level in terms of just that conversation of parenting yeah 100 percent. and you know i'll speak from my experience with um my mom in particular being someone who was the mom who had kids for the incentives. And when I say incentives, I mean, in society with a lot of our, I'll say North American as my experience, um, systems and laws, there is incentives for single mothers and for single parents. And so if you can, it sounds really shitty, but there are no supports for families who want to stay together, who want to attend couples counseling or family counseling, that's not a support system that's made available. And truly, I believe it comes down to the, um, and you know, some people might say it's a conspiracy or whatever, but truly for me, it comes down to this overall sense of, you know, having a very reactive system rather than a proactive system. And so what happens is, when you know mom and dad get to a point in their relationship where things are super toxic really unhealthy you know maybe even physically emotionally or mentally abusive 
they get the option of, well, you know what, mom, if you leave him, you get money for leaving him. You get not only child support, but the system is going to also give you funding to go and live your life for your children. And the sad reality about that is a lot of moms don't use that money. Well, I'll speak from my experience. I can't speak for other. I'm sure there are single moms out there who do their best to absolutely use it, but for their children. But, you know, my mom, she got that check and she had her hair done, her nails done, the cutest new shoes or bag, and I still hadn't had clothes, you know? So there is definitely incentives for separation. And for what I'll say is the um, prolonging of intergenerational trauma um, and those wounds. And there's not a lot of support systems out there for the healing aspect of those things. And I, you know, I have my own beliefs and thinking, you know, there are certain reasons for that, but that's the reality that we're in right now. Yeah. Um, so first question I had written down here, um, what made you want to create the platform that you have now and advocate for, uh, the cause and help other people? For sure. So, Um, honestly wanting to create social media platform was simply to give kids like me a voice, give them a safe space to feel heard and seen and to give them hope. Honestly, um, as a kid, I truly and genuinely thought I was like the only one I'd go to school and everyone was creating their arts and crafts for their mother's day or their father's day present. And there I was crying because I didn't want to make one at all. You know, like (laughs) it was it was really rough and I really did feel as though I went through that completely alone and like no one could sympathize but you know becoming uh, a teenager and you know embodying an adult as well and seeing not only my little brother endure that with our mom but also seeing other kids having to endure the same and it's very easy you know to pick out once you've experienced it's easy to pick up the signs in somebody else when you recognize them within you. So the reason why I created the platform was because one, I wanted to give kids a safe space and teenagers and adults even just to know that they're not alone with their paternal and parental trauma, but also at the end, you know, grand scheme of things, um, it is my ultimate goal to be able to really be a source of healing and inspiration for a lot of people to see and say, oh, wow, if she can get through it and she can heal it and she can better her life because of it, why can't I, you know? So that was really the, the driving force with that one. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see how many people, uh, you know, ever since the pandemic, especially, are, you know, you find a lot of genuine people and you also find on the other side, too, that just kind of do it like, oh, well, there's a lot of people struggling. So let me see if I can share my story, but hide my real intentions behind it, too. And I don't know if you've experienced that yourself, but when I first created the Facebook group that I have, um, I was part of uh, the suicide awareness group where I put out one post and I think it got like 600 likes within like an hour. And I was just like, okay. Um, they gave me the opportunity for the blog and I was publishing stories for them, but they weren't posting. And I was just like, okay, like I, I understand if you're busy, but it's been a month now. Like why, why aren't you posting my stuff? They finally posted one of the blogs I did and uh i worked on the second one and that one took even longer than the first one. I'm like, okay, so I, I need to get this message out there and my story out there because, you know, I feel like people can relate or maybe not. Maybe you'll just give them some sort of, you know, relief that they're not alone, like like you said. And I created that group and they kicked me off the blog. They kicked me out of that page because I did that. Um, and I asked them, like, I don't understand. Aren't we pushing the same message? Like, why does it matter if I have my own page and trying to, uh, you know, 
create a platform for myself. And they just said, oh, well, we don't want members go uh, flocking to your group. I'm like, oh, man. So, it, it's, yeah, it's it's crazy, the mentality of some people in this community. You know, I don't know if you've run, in that, run into that yourself. You know, I am grateful to say that I have not. But I will say in the experience of how you said earlier, people utilizing social media to, you know, maybe share a part of themselves per se, but not divulge as to really what their motives are behind it. Um, speaking actually specifically to the spiritual community, especially on TikTok and Instagram, there, I won't name names because, you know, <laughs> very serious legal stuff with, with that one there, but this person was advertising that they were a spiritual person who was very invested into astrology and they wanted to share their insights to, you know, help people with their businesses specifically. And because I'm a rather spiritual person, it's been one of my, you know, greatest modes of healing um, is looking into my astrology and all these things in, in that regard. I went in and I was like, okay, cool. Let's take a class with this person. And I did only to find that it was a complete scam. And, you know, once they got you and they got the sale, they were hightailing it out of there and they didn't give you anything after. And I was like, so confused. I was like, why is this happening? Like why? I thought you wanted to help people heal and progress and better themselves and their business. And it came out a while later that he, or they were a scam artist and, you know, it's happened to not just me, multiple other people. And so I do get what you mean with some people coming out and taking advantage of vulnerable people in a position where they just want help and then they don't right. receive. Yeah. And especially in this community full of, you know, so many struggling too. There's, I mean, it's all vulnerability, you know, and uh, just, just people that feel the need to take advantage. It's kind of like, my mom multiplying in multiple spots, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, it sucks that you had to deal with that too. It's uh, unfortunately, I feel like we have to go through those hard lessons just to find out who's genuine and, and who's not. Um, but one of the things that I fell, fell upon um, on your page was, was the ebook that you have on your Instagram bio titled identifying intergenerational trauma and healing beyond it. I love the title, by the way. Um, <laughs> how did you form this idea and how long did it take you to complete? So the idea is basically like, I wanted to be able to fundamentally give the knowledge of intergenerational trauma that I have to others who I know needed it. Um, and truthfully, it was one of the things that I knew I was like, okay, well, if I am going to start entrepreneurship and starting a business, and one of the things I need to do is give out some free content to show the value of what I can provide. And because I am an intergenerational trauma healer and, you know, I'm an advocate for cycle breaking, I thought that this would be one of the best subjects to start off with. Um, it took me quite a while, honestly, just because I have quite a bit of imposter syndrome with, you know, figuring out how to communicate and uh, do so properly and effectively so that it's not coming across wrong or as, you know, lacking character or empathy. So it took me a while. Um, but the idea there was really just trying to get the the overall theme, the overall topic out there so people can familiarize themselves with it. Because the truth is so many people have trauma, but so many people don't realize it's intergenerational trauma that they have that was passed down from their parent, their family member, or their friend who hasn't dealt with their own, right? So I really just wanted to give people a good base to start off with so they can identify what it is they're dealing with and how to move away from it. 
Yeah, and you know, one of the one of the most important things about about trauma too is most people I feel like don't know how to even begin healing. You know, because like you said, uh, either they're unable to identify it or they're just they're kind of stuck in that circle of you know why me like you were saying earlier um i i read all 17 pages and i whole time i was smiling because i'm like wow like very well thought out and i I took a bunch of notes and um wrote some questions for that but i all seven i think it was 17 pages all 17 pages i feel like there are so many people that can relate to just that alone and I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, influencers like yourself don't want to put out that free content. So I think that's a brilliant idea to like put yourself out there like that. Like, Hey, like if you want to go the long run with me, here's, here's what I'm about and see if you can relate to any of this. So again, like I said, absolutely terrific. Um, just to follow up that question, you mentioned seeking a mentor support group and therapy. What are your views on therapy and do you think everybody can benefit from it? Yes. So when I said that, I knew that everybody has a different mode, right? Um, For example, some people want a mentor because they feel like they can't drive a therapist. Other people want to go to their counselor or they want to support with, you know, have support with their friend group. And I really just wanted to kind of give an overall umbrella of what I feel is helpful. And when it comes down to therapy, I see it as being so many different things. It doesn't even have to be just with a traditional talking therapist. It doesn't have to be with a psychologist. Therapy in my eyes can really truly be, you know, even outdoor therapy, going and grounding, spending time in nature. Pet therapy is a real thing as well, going and spending time with animals. Um, You know, there's a lot of things like EMDR. I'm not too sure if you've heard of that, but yeah, my, my personal beliefs are that therapy is a very necessary, but also a very versatile uh, way of looking at your healing. I mean, a lot of what I offer in my one-on-one mentorship is very much therapy. It's sitting there with the client talking about, you know, their blockages, their wounds, their pains. And then I very therapeutically give them that kind of sp- like safe space that they need, but also the tools the techniques or the mindset shifts that they need to be able to sit with those motions in a healthy and you know comfortable way and work through them so I think therapy is invaluable truthfully and I believe that everybody should be in some of like you know some form of therapy but I do believe that a lot of people are put off because they think that you know even I'll speak to my experience where I did go to a therapist when I was I want to say I want to say I was like 18, 19 years old. No, I would have been 18 actually, because it was just a year before I grabbed my little brother and going into the appointment, she said to me, she goes, okay, well, just so you know, you brought up your little brother last time. And as a registered psychologist, I need to tell you that if you explain anything to me, that makes me feel as though your brother could be in danger, is going to be hurt or, you know, is vulnerable. I need to report that and send somebody to go and take care of that. And at this point in my life, I was not prepared to take on my little brother. And I was ve- I was very familiar with the foster care system, with child protective services, and you know, what that route looks like. And so that was enough for me to put my walls up and say never again and leave that session. And I still haven't been back to obviously that therapist yet. Right. Um, and that's simply because, you know, it could be a little scary, you know, to go and sit in an unfamiliar setting, to talk to a new person, to try out a bunch of different new people before you find the one that works for you. 
um, and tiring as well, because I mean, you're gonna have to sit there and tell your story until someone gets it enough for you to feel comfortable with them. Or, you know, if for some reason there is something that, you know, maybe you're not ready for. So in my instance, I wasn't ready to take on my brother and I wasn't ready to have to deal with him being in foster care because I viewed that as worse. I basically just shut down and I was like, Kate, this isn't for me. I guess I'm just going to keep my trap shut until I can help my little brother myself. Um, And that's exactly what I did. You know, a year later, I just worked my absolute ass off and really did my best to get myself independent and financially stable enough that when the time came and he needed me, I could be there and he wouldn't have to endure, you know, foster care or any in between something, you know, like that. So yeah, that's my views on therapy is I really do feel everybody can benefit from it. I truly feel everybody needs it. And it comes in many different shapes and forms. It's just dependent on what feels best for yourself. Isn't it interesting that therapy can sometimes be traumatic? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's supposed to be the opposite, but like that one experience just immediately shuts your brain off to it. Um, so my first experience, uh, with therapy was when I was about 14 years old and it was after, uh, my first attempt of unaliving myself. And I got paired up with a gambling addict therapist, like they specialized in addiction. So it was two sessions of outpatient therapy and none of it helped because it was just kind of like, they specialized in one thing, but I was struggling with depression and all the stuff that I was experiencing and immediately shut my brain off to that. So fast forward a couple of years after my second attempt, that therapist uh, um, breathed more life into me and woke me up. And she's like, wow, like I have to get out of my situation and get away from my mom because she was gonna drive me to that point again. And I come back here down to Florida and I had my second bad therapy uh, experience. Um, first session, she didn't write anything down. And she's like, would you be willing to take pills? And I immediately just kind of looked at her. I'm like, I don't want to have to take medicine to feel better. And again, uh, for my listeners, I know, I know uh, medicine helps um, a lot of people who genuinely need it. Um, again, as you guys know, this is just my experience. I don't believe in medicine um, to a pill form. Um, and then the second session, she kicked me to the curb in the middle of my first anxiety attack. So it took me, um, going to a NAMI event at my current job. And I asked them, like, I had a really bad experience with a therapist and I, and I don't know how to go about looking for another one because I don't want that to happen again. And I've told this story before, uh, well, not story, but I've said this to my listeners before, but he's like, make sure you ask questions to those therapists before you start, you know, what do they cover? Um, how long are their sessions? What's their pay pay scale look like? Because like you said, when people think of therapy, it's immediate turn off in their brain. It's like, Oh, therapy. I don't want to have to talk about my feelings and all that stuff. And I'm really glad you, you brought up the point of therapy, not um, being just talking to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It comes in many different forms and like I always say, there's no wrong way to cope with what you're going through. It's as long as it's healthy. Um, so thank you for for um, for sharing that little bit of little bit of your story before we dig a little deeper. Yeah, and you know what? I'll I'll even I'll sympathize with you, my friend, and I'll be vulnerable in saying I don't believe in medicine either. 
I believe in holistic healing and holistic natural medicine. Um, and again, uh, like how you said, everybody needs their own mode and what might be right for me might not be right for somebody else. But I really do believe, especially in the mental health community, that it is an overdiagnosed and overtreated community. I believe that prescriptions are absolutely pushed a lot more often than they should be. And I speak from experience when I, you know, I was a 13 year old girl and my doctor was like, well, I give your mom Ativan, so let's give you Ativan. And for people oh, who- no. are yeah, I was like, and for people who are not aware, that's a mild horse tranquilizer. And so speaking to, you know, healing and being able to, you know, break the cycle, I did not want to embody what my mom was doing because it wasn't working. I right. saw, you know, I saw that she'd pop an Ativan and rather than deal with the anxiety, feel it, work through it and actually get to the origin of the issue, she'd be conked out in less than 20 minutes and <laughs> dead to the world, for lack of a better term, for like a... 24 hour period. Right? right. So I agree with you. And I sympathize. I really do believe that mindset is an incredibly powerful thing. And I, I will be the first to admit and say that I, ha I mean, I'm a cannabis and health specialist here in Canada. So I have absolutely utilized that medicinal um, aspect of nature for a lot of my healing, but I've done a lot of self-healing individually and just you know, having self-reflection, journaling, you know, taking myself out of situations that were triggering or that were negative or toxic, removing those toxic people. I think mindset and mental health really go hand in hand because I mean, they're literally the same thing. And, you know, medicine is not necessary for mental health in, in a lot of aspects. There are some cases, yes, it's for sure necessary for some people, but again, like how you said, I mean, when it comes down to, you know, depression or anxiety, um, even PTSD to that instance in my own self, I've been able to work through that without relying heavily on prescriptions or prescriptions at all for that matter. So I believe that everybody, you know, to that same extent has the strength to be able to do that themselves too. Right. And, you know, um, just to, to relate to that, uh, the medicine with your mom thing, I watched my mom down so many pills throughout my life, like takes uh, medicine for anxiety, for depression, for whatever other health issues. And you can see it in her face. Like that medicine ages you quicker than, than life itself could. And when I saw her last time in person, cause you know, she lives in Jersey and I live in Florida. So we don't really see a lot of each other. When I saw her uh, face to face last time, I think it was last, yeah, last summer, you could just see it in her face that the medicine is just like, taking its toll on just her well-being and you know again uh like you said in severe circumstances in like things you can't control by like you said mindset and taking care of yourself um medicine is absolutely necessary in certain circumstances but i truly believe the same exact thing that you do that medicine isn't shouldn't be pushed right away it shouldn't be the first go-to in any situation Exactly. And, you know, we do live in a society that is, and, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll be bold and say, you know, big pharma makes millions of dollars off of our illnesses. They do not treat the illness, they mask it, right? Why mm -hmm. would they, why would they make you healthy if they could have a patient for a longer period of time, right? So I right. agree with you saying there should be other um, methods provided before, and that should be a last stop alternative, right? Right. And that leads me to probably one of, I think one of my all-time favorite quotes I think I've ever read in my life, treat the cause and not the symptom. I, my jaw was on the floor reading that. I'm like, wow. 
I, I was just, I never put it together like that because, you know, like I shared with that, my experience with that therapist, it, it's so true. Like, it's like, oh, well, do you want medicine or do you want to actually like talk about your trauma and heal? Oh, well, just give me medicine. I'll be fine. And it's like, oh, well, this medicine isn't enough. All right, let's up the doses, up the dosage. Jesus, I can't say that word. Um, um, but it's, I, I always feel like it's either too much or it's too little. And it's just like, you're screwing around with those dosages. Meanwhile, that time spent on messing with the dosages of medicine could have been spent with a therapist, uh, a one-on-one -on -one with a mentor or a support group, like you said. And I feel like so many people are so quick to just like, you're the doctor, you know best. Yes. And that's truly because I believe that we've been led away from critical thinking and critical thought. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like when you go to buy a car, they always say, well, do your own research, you know, look at the specs, get your own mechanic to look at the vehicle. But then when you go to your doctor or your pediatrician, or you speak to any healthcare professional, it's like, well, they went to school and they know best. And I'll speak from experience when saying, you know, I have I have consequences that I have to pay for, for taking medical advice that was not sound. And that is, you know, is something that I, I have to, I don't want to say battle with, but I have to come to terms with because in that very moment, as it was happening, my intuition, like the red flags were blaring. I knew in my heart, like, no, this is not right. Um, right. But you know, I did it anyway, because everyone was like, they're the professionals, they know best. And, you know, now we're seeing how many people, really have to come to terms with the fact that there are consequences to not doing your own research and to just blindly following whatever the quote unquote professional says is best, right? And I truthfully do believe at the end of the day, you know, intuitively we do know what's best for ourselves. We just want support in following through what we know is best for ourselves. And sometimes unfortunately, because of all of our, all of our little, can't say that word either, vulnerability, <laughs> you know, we also get led down maybe improper paths for that. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny because I went to a dermatologist, two different sessions, mind you. One doctor said one thing, doctor, uh, it's like, oh, it's not that, it's this. And she's like, okay, I immediately canceled my appointment. So I'm like, well, never going to you guys again, because that's conflicting. And I'm not going to just turn out money because you say one thing and then you say another. Um, it, it's, <laughs> it's so crazy to me how doctors will just immediately die on that hill. They're like, oh, well, if you don't take, if you wouldn't take these pills, then why would you take these pills? Like uh, with that therapist, she's like, uh, would you take medicine for your, um, your blood pressure? I'm like, well, I, I guess so. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, well then this is for your health too. It's just like, no, I'm not, not feeling that. Nope. Um, awful experience, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> yeah, well, I completely sympathize with that. And, you know, um, you yeah funny it's funny at the end of the day you can't you have you can't help but laugh at it you know it's it's so ridiculous it really is um do you feel one of the biggest causes of people not healing is lack of, of oh jesus lack of accountability yeah 110 percent um one of the things i learned through my healing journey is that negative emotion registers so much more profoundly than positive emotion does and the trick with that is, especially within a victim mindset or a victim mentality, that why me per se, right? Life happens to me, not for me. You're very much charging yourself with that very impactful 
very, very uh, long-term affected, you know, negative energy that can do a lot of damage. And, you know, a lot of people are not ready to let go of that damage. They're not ready to let go of the attachment or the feelings that that negative emotion provides to them, which is hilariously ironic because everyone is miserable and everyone wants to bitch and complain, excuse my language, but it's true. They want to say, oh, this happened to me or this person did that or woe was me, woe was me, I'm the victim. And it's almost like they, I don't want to say get off on it, but it's almost like they are okay with doing that. That a temporary high. Yes, because then when someone is like, well, you know what, here's the answer. They have all these excuses. When, when yeah, but, yeah, but. Exactly. Well, I can't, well, that it's easy for you to say, but I can't because. And it's like, <laughs> oh man, like you just got to hear me out. I've been where you are. Um, healing really is like when people, when people want to heal and they're tired of feeling shitty and they're tired of being depressed and anxious and letting these negative emotions rule the, their lives, then I can help them because they actually want to be helped. They want to let go of it. They want to feel the peace, the happiness, the positivity. People register emotions differently, of course, but one of the biggest things I say is radical accountability is necessary when healing because no one is coming to save you. No one else can save you in the ways that you can save yourself. And if you sit around waiting for other people to change or to come and save you or rescue you or, you know, have a random act of kindness, if you just wait for something to fall into your lap, you're going to be waiting a really long fucking time because you have to go out there. You have to get it for yourself. So it's no different than when I tell my clients, you know, I was just talking to one of them today, actually, about the topic of cutting out toxicity. People have a very hard time coming to terms with the fact that if family is toxic, it's best to let them go. And they don't want to have that accountability to do it. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't think I could do that. And I'm like, well, then you're not holding yourself accountable to what you said you wanted to do, which was to release the toxicity and let go of what is hurting you. Right. And so I do agree with you in that. And I do, I do absolutely believe that, yeah, radical accountability is huge, absolutely necessary for healing. If you don't have it, it's going to be really, really hard to get down that journey, you know. And I feel like the hardest thing when it comes to people starting their healing journey is not having a foundation to stand on. It's always, you know, uh, okay, yeah, I'm doing all these steps and uh, doing self-care and practicing this and da-da-da. It's like, okay, that's that's great and all, but like if something punches you, are you going to hit rock bottom again? Or are you going to get back up because you have solid foundation and stand on top of And that was something for me that I, I struggle with, you know, I was stuck in that why me mentality and I was stuck in just being bitter because of just like, it felt like a domino effect. It's like, this went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong. My parents suck, my life sucks, my job sucks. And, you know, it took that very first therapy session that was positive for me uh, to realize like, you got to be willing to put in every step of healing because people want to skip to the okay well I had one session it didn't work okay well that's that's not how therapy works but go on do you (laughs) you know what I mean it's just like sometimes people get caught in that toxic victimhood um and I've met so many people who are like that it's just like they don't want to hear advice and I feel like one of the hardest things in uh I'm a broken record for saying this but I feel like most people listen to respond instead of trying to understand yeah and you know like i like i was saying when uh when you were saying what you were saying um 
that's a lot of saying, sorry. <laughs> um, I feel like it's like the yeah, but mentality. It's a yeah, well, well, my arm is broken. Okay, well, you know, take care of it. Do what the doctor says. Keep it elevated. Yeah, but my, my back hurts. Yeah, but my leg hurts. And it's just like, okay, like you're in pain. I, I get that. Take care of yourself. And, do something about it. Right, right. And so many people aren't willing to look in the mirror and be like, okay, me and you got to start seeing eye to eye because while you're trying to quote unquote heal, and the reason I put that in quotes is because people don't want to take every step that it takes to heal. They don't want to put up boundaries. They don't want to cut out people. Yeah. And I agree with you in, the, in that because, you know, um, like and exactly how you said, you know, people almost in a way want to be heard and that's it. They don't want your input. Um, and they want, they want you to kind of throw them a pity party. Oh, I can't believe you went through that. Oh, my poor thing. Oh, can I do anything for you? They want that attention. Um, and I, I often find, you know, in my own experiences with people of the same, it's, you can, it's like beating a dead horse at that point, you know, like you want to help them. You want, you know, they could heal. They say they want to heal. They want to change their lives. They want to do this. They want to do that. But the truth is like how I said earlier, you know, it comes down to those emotions registering differently. And the difference between a healing person and a hurt person is the healing person knows how bad that hurt feels. They've seen what their life looks like in that hurting cycle. And that's where people like me come in as I'm the healer and the cycle breaker to say, hey, you see that cycle you're viciously living in and that's making you miserable and depressed and hating yourself and making you want to unalive yourself. There's actually a way out of that. It's called healing. If you want it, you can have it. All you have to do is hold yourself accountable to every step of the process and not giving up. And then you have a whole new cycle that you can thrive and live happily and healthily. Absolutely. Within. It just takes the work and the time and the commitment to actually achieve that, right? Right. And, you know, when it comes down to, uh, you know, relationships, especially, I feel like so many people uh, will complain openly about the relationships, but won't do anything about it. And when they come to their friends, which I always think is a terrible, terrible way to, to go about relationship problems, because the people you're going to for relationship advice don't have to deal with the consequences of that advice. It's like, oh, well, why don't you just leave them or say you need space? Okay, you say that, then what happens? They break up and it's your fault. You know what I mean? And again, it goes back to accountability. Most people don't, most people lack that account, accountability to, to better themselves, better their relationship with themselves. And if they're with somebody. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly because it's easier to say, what well, was me than to put in the work to say, wow, look at me. I'm actually healing. I'm doing the work, you know? And right. I agree with that in terms of relationships, especially, you know, um, and I'll even, I'll call myself out and say with myself and my co-parent, you know, we lived together before having my daughter and we lived together after having my daughter. And I would go to my friends and say, Hey, this is what I'm going through. I just need to vent about it. I don't know what to do. I knew what I had to do, but I was afraid to do it. Right. And I really beat myself up for a while. I was like, what's the right decision? Is this it? Is it not? And ultimately it got to the point where I just stopped talking to my friends about it because I was tired of hearing the same thing, which was the answer I knew I needed, but did not want to hear. Right. And it took me, you know, seeing the impact on my children to be like, okay, this is a vicious cycle that I saw my mom start and, you know, finish in a way with me. 
I'm not restarting it back up for myself and my children and my family. So I had to commit and hold myself accountable to doing what was right, not only for myself, but for my children, even if it was the emotionally and physically hard thing to do in that time, you know, and I think right. that's the trick is a lot of people get afraid of the uncertainty of what that looks like because they're used to the familiarity of the toxicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you're so used to that pain you forget that healing is possible and forget that there's uh, another side to, to this life instead of constantly hurting and, uh, and healing. Um, so this question I, I wrote down, I, I kind of asked all my guests and um, definitely want to hear it from you as well. What does self-care look like for you while on this journey of self-discovery and healing? Yeah, that's actually a super loaded question because... <laughs> Still figuring it out, my friend, to be completely transparent with you. Um, I'm someone who does not always prioritize taking care of myself because I often prioritize taking care of others. However, on this healing journey and through, you know, learning, you know, in a way, my children are going to model what I do for myself. I've really started to learn that self-care for me is allowing myself to feel in my emotions without shame without making it as though like why am I feeling these allowing them to just actually be felt acknowledged accepted and moved through because you know I like to say that emotion the word itself is really just energy in motion and we are energetic beings and I believe we are here to master and learn what emotion and what this energy can be like for ourselves and how to manipulate such so Self-care a lot for me is because I didn't have a safe space to feel those emotions in my childhood is allowing myself to feel them now without that guilt and that shame. And oftentimes that looks like, you know, me literally going to my bathroom and just letting out a good, a good cry. Sometimes the scream, sometimes it's letting myself laugh as loud as I feel I want to laugh or need to laugh without feeling hindered. And it's often just, you know, listening to my body. I've, I've, uh, you know, I think that even after if you're familiar with some of the content that I do, then you know that I took my mother to court, obviously, to help get custody of my younger brother. And uh, basically, that whole <laughs> that whole process over two years, at the very, very end of it all, I had to conjure up all these things from my childhood that were incredibly traumatic. And then at the end of it, I didn't even have to use any of it because it was so like case closed, done and sealed, that all of those emotions, everything I had to conjure up, had nowhere to go. They just left, you know, sitting there after that whole ordeal. And that started to really impact how I took care of myself in the way of not feeding myself, working until I was absolutely overtired, drained and burnt out, Um, not listening to my intuition, you know, ignoring the calls that I needed for rest and, you know, working harder and harder, just kind of neglecting myself. And so through this period of, you know, just trying to really get back to healing and to that commitment to myself, it's been prioritizing the emotions, letting them be felt. If I'm hungry, I'm going to fucking eat. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> working on my laptop. If I need to go make myself some food, I got to go do that. Um, you know, taking myself out for a walk, um, even being honest and communicating myself and how you said before in the podcast boundaries. Um, if, you know, I feel as though either something my little brother or my older brother or um, even my co-parent for that matter or friends, my mother even, if someone is doing something that is imposing on a boundary that I had set, that I've been teaching myself that a form of self-care is communicating 
and speaking your authenticity and letting that be heard without the fear of rejection or judgment or abandonment. And if those things come about, training myself to be okay with that outcome and just saying, hey, what is meant for me will come for me. What isn't will get the fuck out of my way. If they don't align with me and what I say is my boundary, then they can get out of my way and I'll continue on my way as well, right? So very much prioritizing self-care looks like just letting those emotions be felt, being authentic to myself, and really being okay with communicating where I'm at when I'm at that place, you know? Right. Um, so I've heard about four different versions of feel your emotions, and I and I love, like, every explanation behind them, and just, like, the way that you put it was incredible. So the first time that I heard it the way that I did was from my first guest of this year. She wrote a book on gaslighting, and uh, she's a trauma therapist. It says, uh, feel your void feel your emotions and when I read it and I and I've spoken to her on the podcast I'm like that blew me away because I've never heard it like put so uh detailed without saying too much and the way that you said it like feel your emotions and whether you have to go go and cry or you know um whatever it is feeling your emotions is so important especially while you're healing and it's incredible to from one healing person to another, it's incredible to see what that journey looks like for everybody because it's quite literally different for everybody. Um, and just to follow up on a little piece of uh, your self-care, what what did it feel like when you were finally able to close that case? Your brother is under, is under your guardianship. How did that feel for you? Because I love the story. <laughs> Honestly, my friend, like it's still incredibly surreal. Um, I believe part of me still doesn't think that it is real. uh, And I believe a part of me still has yet to process it. But the other half of me that was, you know, in reality at that point in time um, was so stupidly relieved. Like I can't, oh, I, I, yeah, even thinking about it makes me emotional because I can't even express into words like the fear that sits there when you're like, I don't want to be powerless. I don't want him to have to experience what I experienced. Yeah. And I, I believe I said, I think you said you were 14 when you had your first attempt. I was, I believe around the same, I want to say 13, 14 years old. And the only reason I was, the only reason I didn't go through with it is because my older brother literally caught me on my way out and was like, mom, what are you doing to her? And my little brother was nine years old when he was saying the same things that I was saying when I was in that point in my life. And so sitting in court for two years with so much uncertainty, not knowing if it's going to prevail, if the system will support us, if he's going to go back or not, was incredibly heart-wrenching and difficult. So to be given the verdict, it just was the biggest weight off my shoulders to know that like, not only is this over and done with per se, but he's safe he's going to be okay. And I don't have to hold that fear anymore because it's been alleviated from me, you know? Yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he just got his learner's permit, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> so proud of him. He's been driving with myself and my older brother. And I'm sure our mom has taken him at this point as well. But it's so cute to see him because it's just so funny. Like to me, he's still just such a little kid that I'm like, you should not be behind <laughs> Yeah, he's thriving now. And it's awesome because, yeah, it's just, and we, we even talked about it when he got his learners. He's like, did you think that you were going to be bringing me for my learners and teaching me how to drive? And 
I kind of had to sit back and I was like, you know what? It's kind of weird because a part of me always knew and the other part of me absolutely had no clue at all, right? So I think that goes back to intuition. And um, I don't know if you saw the post, but a while ago I had made mention of the fact that, you know, when I held my little brother for the first time, when he was born, I don't even know what came over me. I'd never experienced an emotion like that before, but I just instantly just was waterworks, tears everywhere. And I just felt compelled to promise him that I was going to be the best sister I could possibly be. And being a nine-year-old little girl at that point, I thought that was, you know, helping mom take care of bottles and diapers and doing all those things. But I didn't realize that it was actually going to be me stepping in to be that guardian and to be, you know, more than just what a big sister I feel is meant to be, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was really rewarding and relief, uh, really relieving to be able to have the verdict I mean, we're going back to court tomorrow for just some varying of parenting time, but, you know, the grunt work, the hard part is over and done with. So I couldn't be more grateful. So much gratitude. Like I literally thanked the universe. I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Crying in my car, just right. so overjoyed, right? And, you know, it essentially it kind of feels like your inner child is linking with his now child and shielding him from all the harm and embracing what he has gone through and giving him that validation that he went through but now he has a healed powerful version of yourself and the emotion you can feel out of that video like like i said in that comment so wholesome and i like i said i love your story and i love the fact that 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 came to fruition for you thank you so much my friend i really appreciate it absolutely um so how crucial was your self-love discovery, uh, learning from you and your mom's situation and going through uh, your traumas? Uh, how, how did it help you heal in the long run? So honestly, it helped immensely. You know, I hated myself for a long time because my mother hated herself. Uh, and I realized it's also, you know, because her parents were not happy with themselves and so forth, right? My mother is still in that place. And I think the only reason why I was able to do a lot of my healing was because I looked at my mom and I was like, whoa, what do I have to do to not turn out like her? And the biggest thing was to love myself so that my daughter does not grow up to hate herself in the same ways that I was taught to. Um, and to be completely honest, it was so, it, it arguably probably the most crucial aspect because you know, monkey see, monkey do. Children really are sponges and they are many use. So if you in that first zero to seven years cannot exemplify for them how you want them to be, they're going to turn out exactly how you don't want them to be, which is all of your flaws and all the things that you don't want, right? And so I had to see really fast. My daughter was three months old and I was looking myself in the mirror and I hated my postpartum body and I was unhappy and still terrified of my mother like literally I could not sleep at night because I was so afraid she was going to come and you know take my brother or hurt myself or my baby and I got to the point where I was like you know what I feel this way because I don't trust myself I don't love myself I don't respect myself and that's because my mother never showed me how so although I don't have someone to show me how I'm going to do my best to figure it the fuck out <laughs> so that my daughter knows and I don't have to have to see her go through the same thing. So I found myself really sitting there and, you know, <laughs> saying uh, even, you know, corny things like, I love myself. I love my eyes. I love my nose. I love 
my resiliency. I love my attitude, my, my voice, like, you know, just really training my subconscious to love me, to uh, allow myself to be expressed, to be appreciated, to be respected. And I don't think I would have been able to do a lot of the family part of the healing if it wasn't for that. Um, it's not really to go off topic, but because I was able to get to this point of loving myself, I was able to recognize why my mother was the way she was. I didn't know for the longest time what was going on until I heard the quote, hurt people hurt people. And I had to sit there and with my daughter witness, well, I'm going to hurt my daughter if I do not fix myself and heal myself because I am a hurt person. And that's the worst nightmare of my life. If I ever had to deal with, you know, the relationship between my mother and my, like my mother and myself with myself and my daughter or my brother lights out, I'm done. There's no reason for me to be here anymore. Right. So through this process of, you know, learning how to love myself and discovering what that feels and looks like, I was able to say, oh, it wasn't that personal. My mother didn't hate me. She just didn't know how to love me because she didn't know how to love herself. And it was that revelation which allowed me to forgive my mother and not necessarily because, you know, a lot of people struggle with forgiveness. They really do think it's for the other person. They, they want to say they don't deserve my forgiveness. They don't deserve this reconciliation. And I always challenge them. I say, you know what? Holding that grudge, hating them, resenting them, questioning why they could ever do that to you. That's hurting you a lot more than it's hurting them at the end of the day. And forgiveness is not about forgiving them because they deserve it. It's because you deserve your peace. And at the end of the day, I knew I needed to forgive my mom so I could have my peace to be able to say, I understand what happened. I understand why it happened. And I also understand how to make sure it never happens again. And if my mother was capable of loving herself and likewise (laughs) incapable of forgiving other people, then I had to set that example for myself and my daughter and my little brother by learning how to do the things that she could not, right? Right. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, self-love and affirmations go hand in hand with each other. And people underestimate how powerful those affirmations are. Because, uh, you know, I volunteered with the crisis text line. And uh, one of the things they taught us, it's like, you know, the affirmations are, are crucial. And, you know, you have to validate their experiences. And you're like, you know, you're brave for reaching out. You're, uh, you're strong for talking about your story. And people don't realize, like, it, it sounds funny, like how when we were kids, they told us, oh, do the interview or read your flashcards in the mirror and, you know, pretend like you're talking to an audience. Well, the audience is the audience of one, your your inner self and saying that it took me a long time to say I love you to myself. And that was because of everything else that was untouched and unhealed. And uh, I also feel like forgiveness and acceptance are another two words that go together with each other. Like, I've forgiven my mom and I've forgiven my dad and I've accepted that both of them are never going to change. And then you also add those boundaries in there, our our lovely word of boundaries that they can't hurt us ever again because we've forgiven them, but we've also accepted that they may never change. Yeah. And then you're holding yourself accountable to laying those boundaries and not allowing them to be imposed on. And so that looks like, you know, for example, Um, even just the other day, you know, my mom crossed one of my boundaries and I was like, listen, I set this boundary. We are not doing this. If you would like, this is the route you can take to have a civil, amicable, respectful, and mutual relationship together. If you're not interested in that, then these are your consequences. And I'm going to take my leave. 
And you know, two things come out of that. Either they freak out at you, they get mad, the argument continues as long as you choose to engage or, oh yeah, no, nope. I, you know, I, you know, don't want to argue with you. I didn't mean to make you feel like that. I don't want to have any conflict. Like, sorry, I'm going to be more, you know, cognizant of X, Y, and Z or whatever. And so you're right. I really do agree. Forgiveness and acceptance really do go hand in hand. And I like that you said that, you know, acceptance is a key thing because you have to also learn that forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that someone has to stay in your life in the same way that they were in it previous, right? right? You can choose to, you can choose to interact, you can choose to not, but it's never going to be the same as how it was previously. And so people think that, oh, if I forgive them, they have to stay in my life. There's a lot of people in my life that I've forgiven that I'll never speak to again. And that's simply how it is because we don't need to cross paths, but at least I have that piece of knowing I have forgiven and I don't hold any ill will towards what may or may not have occurred, right? Right. And if I can be vulnerable for a second, um, my mom invited me to attend her wedding to give her away because her biological father passed away. She worded it like that too. She said, I want you to give me away to this guy because my father's gone. So the guilt trip was automatically there, right? And it took me a second and I reached out to my therapist and I said, I don't know how to approach this because it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable question. And I don't know how to really approach it. And, you know, she's like, uh, she gave me a little bit of advice for what she can, because it wasn't an official session. And I responded to my mom, like, listen, I wish you the best with this guy. And I wish you nothing but happiness. But due to our past, I just don't feel comfortable in this situation or being put in this situation simply for the fact that I've laid that boundary down for myself. and I'm not going to put myself there. She responded with, I understand, but then the narcissist turned on and whole big paragraph of why I'm wrong for putting up that boundary. So again, the acceptance part comes in there <laughs> for a boundary. Right, exactly. You have to accept that. And you know what? That's the thing too, is people love you when you're playing the part that they've written for you. And the second that you step out of that narrative and you are your own character who makes their own choices and their own boundaries, you're the fucking villain and they want nothing to do with you. And you have to accept that you do not have any control over the narratives that other people choose to write for you. And it's none of your fucking business. If you can't fit into their box, fine, burn the box. It doesn't matter. It's not your problem. Let them have a Burn the box. I love it. Literally, let them have a campfire and scream and cry and let all <laughs> out, but it has nothing to do with you, right? I love it. Burn the box. Uh, yep, yep. That's the best <laughs> way to approach it, too. Um, so what has been the most important lesson you have learned while being a, mar- uh, a mother slash guardian? Oh, yeah. So definitely, like how I said earlier before, is monkey see, monkey do. I have been, I've been humbly awakened, you know, to just how impactful our self-perception and self-care and you know even the way that we speak and the ways that we interact with others uh the things that we say how pivotal it is to our children's fundamental development and and their actual basis of their own personalities because you know there will be things that i don't even think my kids are tuning into and they've repeated right after me like a little mockingjay and i'm like whoo uh actually <laughs> now that you say that I take that back and I'll this is how I would prefer to word that so 
as a mother and a guardian, I'd say, you know what, I'll even separate the two. Like as a mother, I'll say that it's definitely monkey see monkey do. As a guardian, I'd say it's uh, one of the biggest lessons for me is learning that as much as you are playing the part of a parent, it's more important to play the part that you were beforehand. So with my brother specifically, uh, you know, the video or the movie Lilo and Stitch, that was like one of my favorite movies growing up. I didn't know why. Fast forward now. And, you know, I'm very in, in a very similar situation to where I'm obviously parenting my younger brother, just in the same way that Lilo and Nani were. And in that movie, she says, I liked you better as a sister than a mom. And that's something that I really had to meet myself with. Because my little brother and I saw for a certain amount of time a degradation to our relationship because I had no idea how to navigate being a sister and a parent at the same time. And so where those fun-loving, easygoing, um, comfortable qualities came in in the past, becoming his guardian was so much more responsibility. It was, you know, I had to be more stern when it came to school. I had to be, you know, on top of him for his healthcare routine, for it brushing his teeth, changing his clothes, going to sleep on time, you know, it, I did have to embody the qualities I wasn't necessarily prepared to embody. And so uh, through the lesson of becoming his guardian, I've really had to learn that as much as it is important to play the part of the parent or as the authority and the role model, it's equally as important to maintain who you were before that and to really nourish that relationship and not forget that you are in my case, a sister before I am a guardian, you know, right. and while it is my job to provide him safety, health and happiness as a parent or as a guardian, a role model, um, I also do believe it's far more important for me to make sure I'm also meeting him at that sibling level and, and being the sibling that he needs me to be, you know. And such a such a powerful connection too, like that, the connection between the Lilo and Stitch and then just uh, relating that to the situation you're in, uh, you know, I was I was going to ask how difficult it was with the the parental side of things, but I'm glad you made made that connection there too because I feel like if I ever had to be put in that situation, that would be my struggle. It's like okay, playing a parental figure, but I'm also their brother. So like, how do you balance that? But which hat do you wear, right? <laughs> right, right. It's all about that having that patience within yourself and giving them the validation with things that they're going through, but also remember that you're their guardian, but you're also their sister. So don't confuse one or the other. It's on the same level kind of thing. So that's a, I feel like a guardian's a very powerful responsibility. And like I said, I think uh, you do it with such grace. I, I really appreciate that. Some days it doesn't feel like it, but we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what is the biggest stigma you see in the mental health community and how would you go about breaking that stigma? Ooh, I mean, we kind of touched on it already. I think that we are over-medicated and I believe that the biggest stigma is that medication is the way. Uh, I, I can't even tell you the amount of times I'm asked, well, are you medicated? Well, are you this? Are you that? And I'm like, why would I need that? Why would I want the medication? And they say, well, wouldn't you want to know what it feels like to just be normal? And then I have to remind people, I'm like, this is my normal, actually. This this has been my entire life. I don't know any different. And I'm What a more... word to throw out there, too. Normal. Yeah. And right, who is normal, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, like, I really do believe one of the biggest stigmas is that medication is the way and that there is no other way other than. And 
that, you know, if you aren't on medication, that you clearly don't have your best interests at heart. And, you know, I, I often do find that within the community, when I do say I'm unmedicated, a lot of people who struggle with depression or anxiety or other mental health issues in that same regard, they're like, what? You don't know what you're talking about then. You're like, you're clearly an unprofessional person who's off their rocker. Like, <laughs> they, they, they have this conception that, you know, it's almost like a projection, right? Because they were unstable without medication. They view me as unstable without medication, without understanding that I've just utilized other modes to be able to get to where I am. So I believe that's definitely one of the biggest stigmas I would like to break. Uh, and like I said, through mindset mentorship, I really try my best to do that is to show people that if all of these other avenues and holistic practices and mindset shifts have not worked and have not given you improvement, try out whatever you feel works best for you. But exhaust these avenues first, because I promise you that's not the only way. And that's kind of what I like to advocate for and show my clients a lot of the time is, and, you know, I've, I've even helped clients in that regard get off of their Xanax and get off of their antidepressants because of the fact they've realized that, yeah, I don't want to take pills for the rest of my life. This sucks. I thought this was going to be temporary. But like we spoke to before, it's not the cause being treated. It's the symptom. And so therefore, it's just prolonged. And it gets to a point where, yeah, they get tired of it. They don't want to do it anymore. So they're, they're willing to try anything. And I'm right. happy to be able to provide them the things that they need that have helped me so that they can feel the same, you know, the same experience as well, where they don't need to rely on those things anymore because they have other techniques and tools in their toolbox. So essentially that would go hand in hand with the one thing you would change in the mental health community. It would be to essentially get people to steer away from the medication side, right? I, yeah, I, I would say that within the mental health community, I would honestly love to see a lot more supports offered holistically. I would love, I would love to see a lot more um, I, I, you know, even affordable treatment for people within the community. I know we always talk about, um, you know, free counseling or, you know, for certain kinds of experiences or ailments, there are some, you know, pro bono or some of the things that you can access for a little bit more affordability, but in the mental health community, I would love to see a lot more accessibility to, you know, actually treating the origin rather than like how we said, yeah, treating the symptom with something that is, you know, a long-term rather than, and I'm not saying healing is not long-term healing was what I really believe to be a forever game, but imagine, you know, let's say you're 20 years old and you get prescribed antidepressants. And so for 20 years, you're on these antidepressants because you have to rely on them to just function and live your life. And then you get to 40 and you're like, man, I fucking hate taking these pills. I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. You know what? Short game, you probably could have, if you've given yourself the chance, could have fought through that depression in your 20s and been off of those pills in your 30s if you had the proper tools and supports and able to do that. But because you were put down a different path, the medication path, obviously you didn't have access to that, right? So right. think right and saying that's absolutely what I would change. Um, yeah, for sure. And I mean, even, I mean, it could be a little bit off topic, but uh, I did have a cousin who passed away. He he had committed suicide because I think specifically men's mental health, I'll say that very, very uh, strongly is truly, I don't believe credited to the extent that it should be. I believe that when we have a conversation, you know, even kind of to the you know earlier part of this podcast, we talked about conversation between mom and dad, you know, light versus dark in a way. And same can be said for the mental health of women. A lot of times it's 
oh, sweetheart, like, no, you, you need to take your time off. You need your week off. You need to go to a therapist. And women really do get a lot more of a community than men do. And so I do feel that within the mental health community, I would love to see some more support for men because I hear a lot about, you know, violence against women and how certain supports are tailored to specifically only help and fund women getting out of those things or women fleeing abuse or women as the result of physical or sexual, emotional, verbal, you know, assault and or abuse. And the reality is, is men deal with those things too. So we need to be able to open that conversation to be able to invite those men to have that same safe space that our women have access to as well. I absolutely agree with everything said, especially the affordable uh, health care for, you know, just the mental health community. I feel like there's so many people struggling. And while uh, the free therapy is great, I also feel like a lot of those people are very underpaid and it's hard to get uh, decent free therapy. Um, I've heard nothing but negative experiences. I mean, obviously that's not everybody's experience, but heard it enough to where I'll stand on that opinion. And especially the men's mental health thing, because, you know, uh, being a man myself, there are very many conversations that that are had, but aren't talked about nearly enough. It's, you know, the domestic violence thing, abuse, sexual abuse, you know, whatever it is, it happens on both sides. One side's just not talked about enough. So again, uh, that equality bar just isn't there yet. And I hope within the next five years, it changes. I mean, that, that would be short term. I mean, uh, I, I would love to see it sooner than five years, but uh, I think just having conversations like this are very important. Um, so at the end of every podcast, and before I get there, um, where can our listeners uh, find you on social media? Yeah, so uh, my social media is branded as at Healing Me and We. Uh, they can find me on Instagram and TikTok. Right now, I'm trying to open up my Twitter as well, but I'm going through a little bit of a rebranding process or I'm trying to tailor my content to be more in this kind of speaking manner. So give me some patience on that. But otherwise, that's where they can find me mainly. Awesome. And uh, at the end of every podcast, I'd like to read a quote on whatever topic I happen to be covered on that podcast. Uh, do you have a quote that you specifically uh, live by or one that you want to read to the readers? I believe I have said it in the podcast already, but I really do love and live by everything is happening for you and not to you. It's something that I, I'm pretty sure it was Tony Robbins who said it a while back that I just happened to stumble upon, but it truly changed my entire trajectory for my healing. That I believe was the turning point of my victim mindset turning into a victor mindset. And it really gave me the empowerment I needed to say, hey, everything is based on perspective. If I want to choose to be and see myself as a victim, I have all the power in the world to do that. But I can also choose to see and actually embody myself as a victor instead. And I think that looks a lot better. So I can take these experiences in my life and say that they happen for me to better me, to better the world, to better those around me, rather than saying they happen to me to break me down, to stop me, to, you know, tear me up and live what that life would feel like, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's a very powerful quote that I would love to see more people take a little bit more accountability um, to help themselves heal. Um, so I have a quote here from uh, Miss Lori Goodwin, and it reads, even in times of trauma, we try to maintain a sense of normality until we no longer can. That, my friends, is called surviving, not healing never become whole again we are survivors if you are here today you are a survivor but those of us who have made it through hell and are still standing 
we bear a different name, warriors. I love that so much. And it it's was so, so good. It is so good. And it's so true because that's how I really do see myself, right? Like I really do see myself as a warrior of someone who has been able to break the cycle and do my best to continue to try to break the cycle. And I think even to that perspective of, you know, how she spoke about trauma, uh, a lot of people get triggered when I say this, but I do view uh, trauma as energy. I think everything in our life is energy. And you have the ability to transform that trauma into whatever the fuck you want. If you're going to use that trauma to empower yourself to become a warrior, that's so beautiful. And that's no different than how I try to take my trauma to, you know, quote unquote, turn it into treasure and utilize it as a valuable source of information and light for other people who need to find that where they think that they're alone in their own darkness, right? That's awesome. Absolutely. And, there, you know, there's such a negative light on the word trauma and trauma could be used as the most powerful weapon to make yourself the strongest version of yourself. So very well said. Thank you. Um, I, I just want to say thank you again so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. I think this was a very enlightening podcast um, and I greatly appreciate uh, you being willing to uh, spend some time on here for our listeners. No, absolutely. I really appreciate the invitation. I really love the conversation as well. So really anytime I'm happy to, I'm happy to chat. Absolutely. And thank you guys again for listening to today's podcast. Uh, as always, be well. And always remember, be gentle with yourselves. Until next time, take care.